So as I was leaving uh, dinner, um, I guess it was about 5.44 or something like that, I looked at the watch and I came up, and the moon was, that full moon was just coming up uh, over the uh, hills there towards the dining room, and uh, I looked up at the hall here, and it kind of took me back to, I don't know, um, many full moons and uh, probably uh, New Year's. Uh, and I had this um, kind of image uh, of all these uh, well, devas, which are like kind of angel beings, uh, that were hovering above this uh, kind of meditation hall. And uh, one of my teachers, in actually Manindra, in, in my early years in India, loved to talk about however, whenever there was uh, dharma, uh, being sort of uh, expounded, that all the devas would come and listen. So I would like to acknowledge, uh, I, one of the things I always do uh, in the evenings is I always try before I give a Tarma talk to look at everybody in the room. And I can do that with you, but I can't do it with the devas, so I just uh, say hi to all of them and... Uh, uh, glad that they're uh, here supporting our practice uh, this full moon evening and uh, New Year's. So what I wanted to uh, talk about this evening um, is actually uh, what, I, what I feel is kind of the heart of Buddhism. And uh, this is a, a poem from uh, Roy Khan, a, what, 16th century with uh, Zen... Uh, uh, but uh, hermit uh, mountain man. Uh, Even if you consume as many books as the sands of the Ganges, it is not as good as really catching one verse of Zen. If you want the secret of Buddhism, here it is. Everything is in the heart. These last uh, couple evenings, um, uh, I was very inspired by Gil's talk last night on sort of his, his passion uh, towards uh, this practice of uh, mindfulness and um, really creating clarity uh, so we can see clearly, which is really uh, the translation of the word vipassana. But I see what is it uh, that happens when we see clearly? What is it that happens? The Buddha, after he uh, reached uh, uh, what uh, achieved, I don't know what word you'd use anyway, he woke up. And uh, in doing so, he started by uh, his first sort of turning of the wheel was the Four Noble Truths. And uh, what was the first piece he pointed at? He pointed that in seeing clearly, uh, we see uh, within ourselves and around us uh, the unsatisfactoriness or the suffering the dukkha, that exists in what we know as form.
I don't know, in myself, I kind of see this paradox that, that is kind of a, uh, the ultimate kind of paradox within myself. I see on one side that uh, there is, uh, through mindfulness, a clarity that comes. Uh, and it sees into uh, really uh, this phenomena of uh, everything uh, is just in flux and flow. And there isn't anybody that's, uh, that I can name who's constant in that flux or flow. And so I see that as kind of uh, this formless unfolding. Uh, I could use the word uh, clarity, emptiness, uh, wisdom, uh, on this one side. Uh, On this other side, I experience uh, form itself, uh, my body, my senses. Um, And in that, I, in the form, uh, I recognize this first noble truth. Uh, and in recognizing that, uh, we're only here for a very, very short time, it seems, when you look at the specter of time, uh, you know, uh, maybe a hundred years, uh, if, we're, if, if we're lucky. And then, you know, uh, it's such a straight destiny for the organism to uh, get old, uh, get sick, uh, and die. And that's if we're really lucky, if something doesn't happen to us. You know, I had a really, uh, just uh, Christmas Day, someone called me and was really distraught when they had uh, one, uh, they had their boy who was 19 years old who had died in a car accident and uh, the day before. And how incredibly... Um, <coughs> vulnerable uh, we are. And uh, we seem to uh, walk around forgetting that in some way. And so in this uh, kind of the conditions that exist in form, um, we begin to, in the suffering itself, uh, recognize that uh, with some clarity and the seeing of it and the allowing ourselves to be open to it, uh, not shutting down or turning away from it, but actually allowing it to come in and, and touch us in some way. Uh, that the heart, uh, the heart actually uh, begins to open. the last uh, day of the year. I was thinking part of this, that whole experience is that in each breath there's kind of this arising, this being born, and uh, there is this dying that happens. Uh, and um, Jack Cornfield had these, um, this little kind of thing of, of what would it be like at the end if this was uh, going to be your last breath? Uh, this evening. Uh, What would really make a difference uh, in your life? What questions would be really important about how you had lived in being here? 
what's really important. And he sort of had three pieces there. And um, uh, they're actually very simple things. Uh, Did I learn to love well? Did I learn to love well? Um, It's a pretty... uh, uh, it's not a complex thing. It's a very simple thing. Um, maybe not easy, but... Um, uh, did I learn to live fully? You know, uh, in this uh, short time here. Uh, and uh, the third one is, is, did I learn to let go? which I think is a lot of, uh, actually, uh, somehow, uh, we are working with these here in different ways. Um, You know, we sit here and there's so much, um, what, kind of inner criticism and judgment that goes on about all the stories we tell ourselves. Uh, as we sit here and um, uh, weave uh, these identities, um, which we like to hold and prop up in some way. I have a, uh, uh, this is from, um, where I find it, from Wayne Mueller who wrote, uh, really, uh, I read it some years ago, a great book, and this is just a passage out of it. What was it called? It's called The Spiritual Advantage of Having a Difficult Childhood. (laughs) The greatest barrier to our own healing is not the pain, sorrow, or violence inflicted upon us as children. Our greatest hindrance is our own ongoing capacity to judge, to criticize, to to bring tremendous harm to ourselves. If we can harden our heart against ourselves and meet our most tender feelings with anger and condemnation, we simultaneously armor our heart against the possibility of gentleness and love and healing. And so we sit here and uh, uh, make up um, the thousands of stories that uh, sort of hold us in bondage and we run them over and over uh, until somehow Um, in this practice we start to see clearly uh, that it causes within us uh, uh, this uh, unsatisfactoriness, this uh, pain of of this inner critic, this self-judgment. And it's held in our uh, our stories, uh, in our bodies, in our hearts, 
And I think sometimes what sitting here is, is just a whittling away. Whittling away. Uh, slowly, slowly. Uh, at this uh, hardness that we hold within, around us and within us. Uh, and then the seeing clearly. Uh, I uh, have seen in myself slowly uh, begins to dissolve and uh, allow that moon to be seen and uh, clearly for what it is in its uh, brightness and uh, to uh, it's actually uh, we live in a sensual realm uh, and the practice is actually uh, our ability to uh, not only just listen with uh, our ears, but with our whole bodies. Uh, and uh, not just the stories we tell us, um, but it's uh, a combination of uh, many, many levels, almost simultaneously, more than uh, the mind itself, uh, I think, can um, uh, make words for. And so there is a intuitive uh, um, resting that creates kind of a trust or a fearlessness uh, in being able to step into the world. Um, I think first years of my practice, I, in kind of uh, the kind of diligent uh, warrior style, um, taught me a lot about. Um, separateness and clarity and uh, emptiness, um, a lot about spaciousness, and it held off. Uh, it was able to hold off some of my own uh, fear of entering life. And this evening when we were in the, um, we have our little yurt over there, uh, for uh, our meals as the staff and teachers. And um, <coughs> there was uh, little Torin Gill's uh, son, and I was running around with this broom trying to get him to follow me around, kind of doing <laughs> these steps around the table in a circle. And I remembered back my own kids and... Um, how long I had a fear of actually attachment itself uh, because I couldn't uh, bear um, uh, my own mind, the fears of what I had been brought up with. Um, and I realize now that actually through these attachments, through my kids and uh, even my ex-wife and all the things I've gone through uh, in being here in the West and, and kind of um, what living in uh, the world that we uh, have created <laughs> and are a part of. Um, that out of this clarity is a deep, is actually a deep sense of uh, 
fearlessness in the attachment. Uh, so the attachment uh, is not something that uh, at first I think I, had, I felt I had to turn away from. And now there is a way to embrace it in a way that um, knows um, that in the attachment itself there is suffering. But also there is the willingness, uh, the fearlessness to enter that attachment and suffering. It's a big thing. A lot of times we don't talk about this too much um, uh, because we want to talk about uh, the um, uh, metta is really what I'm talking about this evening, this opening of the heart, as um, metta itself is a universal feeling. It's beyond, uh, a, a beyond attachment and it is uh, a loving of... Um, but a presence, and it includes everything in presence. And when one sees clear enough, one can also include uh, the attachment. It's interesting because I um, actually was telling Anna this about the sort of etymological uh, what, um, source of the word passion uh, in the Webster Dictionary is uh, pre-Christian time. is actually, arc- it's, it says it as the capacity to suffer. Passion is the willingness to suffer. And uh, as we grow in our clarity, in our sense of uh, kind of wholeness, uh, then we willingly take that on. And we have, um, not so much in this tradition, but the bodhisattva a vow of uh, saving all sentient beings. Um, and I've always was curious with that because I realized that uh, if there's no one who, no one who gets enlightened, uh, there's just enlightenment. Um, then one can be free. But if this practice is working <laughs> towards that freedom, that freedom is non-separateness. Uh, you are not different than me. Uh, if I'm free and you're not free, then we're not free in that way. Uh, I may not suffer the way you suffer, but uh, there still is the interconnectedness of this um, I don't know, it's the best word I is the suffering that exists around us. And so there's this constant practice of a moment of clarity uh, and then our willingness uh, to feel the impact in the form uh, of the interrelatedness or interconnectedness between 
uh, each and every one of us, and all the creatures out there, and uh, our environment, uh, how and what we do to it. So it's a big, a big piece. This is uh, from Ramdas, and it's uh, really about this uh, ability to to hold these two states. Um, the hardest state to be in is one in which you keep your heart open to the suffering that exists around you, and simultaneously keep your discriminative wisdom. It is far easier to do one or the other to keep your heart open and get lost in pity, empathetic suffering, righteous indignation, etc., or remain remotely detached as a witness to it all. Once you understand that true compassion is the blending of the open heart and the quiet mind, it is still difficult to find the balance. Most often we start out doing these things sequentially. We open our hearts and get lost in the melodramas. Then we meditate and regain our quiet center by pulling back from so much openness. Then we once again open and get sucked back into the dance. So it goes, cycle after cycle. It takes a good while to get to the balance. For at first, the discriminative awareness part, the cycle makes you feel rather like a cold fish. You feel as if uh, you have lost your tenderness and caring. And yet each time you open again to the tender emotions, you get lost in the drama and see your predicament. If you really want to help others who are suffering, you just have to develop the balance between heart and mind such that you remain soft and flowing, yet simultaneously clear and spacious. You have to stay right on the edge of that balance. It seems impossible, but you do it. At first you achieve this balance. It is self-consciously maintained. Ultimately, however, you merely become the statement of the amalgam of the open heart and the quiet mind. Then there is no more struggle. It's just the way you are. So this is our challenge, I think. Um, is really supporting uh, what Gail was talking about, these factors of enlightenment, uh, as a way to really uh, um, keep the spaciousness and clarity And yet there has to be this actually fearlessness to uh, engage uh, in form. And um, let that uh, kind of tender heart uh, be experienced. uh, And let it uh, also engage in form, engage in life in as many ways as possible.
I like this piece. This is by uh, Galway Kennel. The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower. For everything flowers from within, of self-blessing, though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on the brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch. It is lovely until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. some way we have to do that here in our practice. You know, um, they say metta, uh, it's kind of, uh, if you want to know if it's metta or whether it's kind of conventional love, is to um, uh, recognize what kind of attachment if there's some, something that arises, that holds it in some way, then uh, it's uh, not metta. Um, but I think there are many levels, uh, from uh, the level of attachment to actually a place of kind of, uh, of self-blessing, of uh, a universal uh, um, non-discriminating, uh, just of uh, actually sense of being uh, that includes everything it touches, everything it touches. You know. And at the same time, we have to start with particulars uh, in our practice here. Just um, some of the kind of particulars of this is um, there's loving kindness, and there is, uh, which is sort of the uh, kind of first of what they call the Brahma Viharas or the um, heavenly abodes. Um, the second one is this practice of compassion, karuna. And what I think, as the first one, we need to understand that uh, attachment can separate out and um, uh, uh, reduce the clarity of the metta. <coughs> that uh, compassion itself is actually our willingness to experience uh, discomfort our willingness uh, to experience that. Um, I thought about people, uh, I was thinking about this woman who um, asked me to stay with her until uh, she had been taken off dialysis. and we thought she'd live about four days, and she lived for 21 days. And so I made a 
deal to stay with her until she died. And she went through a lot of physical pain. And one of the great pieces I learned in this was that um, our willingness, uh, if as you sit here, um, whatever uh, stories or uh, physical pains that you have, uh, our tendency we've always kind of taught uh, for self-preservation in some way to turn away from that and shut it down and turn it off or medicate ourselves, uh, you know, or turn on the TV or some some uh, way of um, turning away from it. And, and this is the willingness to turn towards it. Uh, this practice is really willing to turn towards it and face. Um, what that turning towards means. And what I noticed uh, with this woman, her name was Shirley, was uh, in her moments of deep pain um, that uh, I, uh, in comparison to the pain she was going through, they had to amputate a foot and it was a quite um, difficult situation. Uh, is I had never experienced pain like that. But she said something to me that was really quite phenomenal. Uh, was that, as uh, she said, um, on the pain scale, maybe you've only experienced one or two, and I uh, have been living at eight or nine. She said, but I really feel that you've fully experienced and allowed your one or two. Uh, and uh, that allowed her to trust that I understood something about uh, her eight or nine on the pain scale. Uh, and it was, um, it gave me so much confidence in what this practice has to offer. And sometimes it's, you know, these, uh, I know all of you have had, you know, whether it's knee or back or some little shoulder or neck or face or something that's uh, held you in captivity uh, for a period of time or maybe all this time. Uh, and it has me. Uh, and that was a place where I could see it had been a gift. Know, to me, uh, that someone else noticed. So there's another aspect here. That's really our ability to uh, experience uh, um, the width and the depth uh, of compassion uh, through our willingness. Uh, to feel what it's like to be human beings here, fully. Um, the other aspect that, uh, that's karuna is, is mudita. And it, uh, is, it translates as sympathetic joy as part of the metta. <coughs> sympathetic joy. Joy for other people's happiness. Well, how do you get to that? 
how can you be happy for somebody else's happiness? Well, you are going to, just like I was talking about, you have to allow yourself to feel the, um, uh, the pain of being uh, in this body and here sometimes in heart and mind and its suffering. Uh, you also have to be willing to feel the joy. And I realized, you know, I could do the compassion part because I had had a hard time growing up and I had experienced a lot of uh, suffering, uh, a lot of betrayal. And um, uh, that was something I could get. But when it came to experiencing joy, ah, now that was another story. And actually it wasn't until um, very much, um, I was thinking this evening, uh, watching Tor and uh, Gil's uh, little boy, uh, how with my own children, uh, hanging out with those kids when they were little, and you know, they can turn from <laughs> happiness <laughs> to suffering <laughs> in a second. Uh, but a willingness to kind of uh, feel their joy uh, and have it re-experienced for me. Yeah. Uh, the simplicity of their happiness. Yeah. And to reinstill that, or, uh, you know, it's, it was always mine. It was just, uh, I'd forgotten or lost it, or uh, had somehow covered it over. Um, and so we have to learn that in the practice as mudita, as a way of learning uh, sympathetic joy. Uh, we have to learn joy in ourselves. And then it's not a threat to see joy in others. Uh, it's actually uh, uh, a deep satisfaction. And the fourth uh, kind of Brahma-vihara here is Ubekya uh, or um, equanimity. Um, lovely, lovely word. Uh, I was thinking the four buildings over there. Actually, those are the f- four Brahma Viharas, the residence buildings. Everything sort of unfolds in this kind of, uh, there is a cause and effect behind all things. Uh, And we can't change that for anyone. Uh, uh, And so there is, uh, what, Uh, a natural balance in recognizing that there are laws that govern all things. Uh, kind of the unfolding. And um, uh, equanimity, in a lot of ways, is bowing down uh, to those uh, laws that govern um, uh, life and uh, death and uh, what we know as kind of karma or 
actions. And that we willingly accept the result for ourselves and others through that. Uh, And not that uh, we have to be careful in uh, kind of shutting down or uh, kind of getting uh, what callous or um, uh, holding our sensitivity. in this balance. So again, these uh, four, just this metta, this um, this loving kindness that is really uh, about non-separateness. Compassion, which uh, arises out of our um, understanding of the suffering in the world. Uh, this murita, which is, uh, comes from uh, the joy that also exists in the form. Uh, and the equanimity, which uh, holds uh, things in their uh, balance in a kind of sensitive and um, awakened way. So I'd like to close here with a um, poem by uh, Antonio Machada. Then we have a few scheduled things here. Last night, as I was sleeping, I dreamt marvelous error, that a spring was breaking out in my heart. I said, along which secret aqueduct, O water, are you coming to me, water of a new life that I have never drunk? Last night, as I was sleeping, I dreamt, O marvelous error, that I had a beehive here inside my heart and that the golden bees were making white combs and sweet honey from my old failures. Last night, as I was sleeping, I dreamt, O marvelous error, that a fiery sun was giving light inside my heart. It was fiery because I felt warmth, as from a hearth, and the sun because it gave light and brought tears to my eyes. Last night as I slept, I dreamt, O marvelous error, that it was God I had here inside my heart. Is my soul asleep? Have those beehives that labor at night stopped? And the water wheel of thought, is it dry, the cups empty, wheeling, carrying only shadows? No. My soul is not asleep. It is awake, wide awake. It neither sleeps nor dreams, but watches. Its clear eyes open, far off things, and listens at the shores of the great silence.
So let's just sit for a moment and then some announcements. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.